0: basement binge listeners to another episode the first actual review episode of 2020 of course there is the blueberry ranking which was a ton of fun and i'm so excited that that is finally released there's a monthly update but this is the first like episode episode and of course again huge thanks to isaac for being so great to offer to edit these for me what you're doing is amazing and i really really appreciate it thanks again isaac anyway on to the episode you clicked on it you saw the title the kid who would be king This is a film that I have been waiting to finally be on the podcast schedule. It has been for a long time. This is a hidden gem of a film that I really love. So the title of the film, The Kid Who Would Be King. Story time really quick. So this film came out in January, or maybe it was February. Either way, the beginning of 2019. So in October of 2018, the year before that, my wife and I, we were still living in Provo, which is a southern part of Utah, and our parents lived in Salt Lake. It's about an hour to a 45-minute drive. We would go up and visit them frequently over the weekend, and we were driving home late at night. It was probably like, it was pretty late at night, maybe 1030. We were driving home. It's dark. We're on the freeway, and out of nowhere, this semi-truck from the carpool lane or the HOV lane, whatever you call it, the farthest left lane that a semi-truck is not supposed to be in, merges over into me totally clips us. Luckily, we don't roll the car. We're like flung across the entire freeway, like six lanes of traffic. Luckily, it didn't hit anybody. We were totally fine. The car was destroyed, though. Luckily, we had two cars, so my wife was still able to drive to school, but I was working, and we couldn't afford to fix my car at the time. I still needed to get to work, so I started to take the bus. It was a, a horrible winter. I remember it was so cold. There was so much snow, but anyway, every morning... In the freezing cold, I would walk to the bus stop and wait for the bus. Same bus stop every time. And at this bus stop, they have a bus shelter with posters and advertisements that they have there. And it had an advertisement for the kid who would be king. So every morning, early in the morning, as I'm freezing there on my way to work, hating life because I'm cold, I'd look at this dumb poster. And I've searched everywhere for the poster that they had. They don't have the same one that they had in the, the bus shelter. It kind of follows the same design as the other posters for this film. If you just go to IMDb and look at the posters, just... The premise of the film, a kid, knights, armor on, and a sword, and the title, the kid who would be king. And every single time that I saw it, I just thought, that is a stupid movie. Like, what a dumb movie, as I just stared at this poster waiting for a bus. Every morning, I thought that way. Well, you had a dumb movie. They're combining swords with this preppy school uniform. It's going to be some dumb movie where they're trying to be, like, you know, like the next big thing for kids. And I was just, I was really cynical about it. And I'm disappointed in myself, because this is one of the most genuine films I've ever seen. I didn't know that at the time. I just really judged it pretty hard. So, yeah, then it comes out. Obviously, I had no interest in it. I thought it was a really dumb movie. And then in October of 2019, Movies with Mikey from Filmjoy did a short video about why you should see it. And I just had that connection to it of having seen that poster every single day and being unable to forget it. Every once in a while, that poster just gets stuck in my head. So someone was suddenly recognizing it. Someone's opinion who I agree with. The 4K Blu-ray was on sale at Best Buy, and I was at this weird point in my life where I was collecting movies, and I was really into collecting them for the purpose of growing a collection. You know, the subreddit DVD collection definitely didn't help. So I'd buy movies a lot of the time, even when I hadn't seen them, just because they were on sale, and I wanted to grow my collection. This happened to be one of those. It was cheap. It was a 4K Blu-ray. Someone had just recommended to me, so I bought it, and I was like, whatever, this is is a dumb movie, you know, but I'm going to trust this Movies with Mikey guy, and I watched it. And I totally loved it. There's something about this film that that memory is not significant, but it's just endearing that I had a connection with this film before I even knew it. And now it's one that I love. I've recommended it to everybody. So on to the two cents. If this is your first episode here at The Basement Binge, let me explain what's going on. So two cents is spoiler-free, knee-jerk reaction to the film. I normally try and keep it within two minutes, keep it very, very brief. Um, And then after that, even if you're a reoccurring listener of The Basin Binge, this is a new segment. I'm calling it Hidden Gem. I will keep it spoiler-free and just kind of talk about why it's hidden. You know, what makes it less known? And then talk about what makes it a gem, what makes it worth being known, and why you guys should check it out. Of course, that's spoiler-free. And then after that, of course, the spoilers come. I'll let you know that those are coming. But anyway, let's get into Two Cents, the first segment. The film, as you, by the name of it, The Kid Who Would Be King and the posters of it, if you've seen anything, it's a retelling of the classic story of King Arthur, of the sword and the stone. I was never someone who was into knights and medieval fantasy as much as other people. My brother was really, really into that. I liked sci-fi, but he liked fantasy and he liked medieval knights and things like that. So I wasn't sure how this was going to go for me, you know, even after I bought it. But after seeing it, I have been unable to forget about this since seeing it. I've recommended it to everybody I can, and I've, like I said, been waiting for it to be on the schedule to be able to revisit it and to be able to talk about it because I just love it so much. It's surprisingly uncynical and full of heart and meaning. It's sincere and endearing and just loads of fun. It's the story of King Arthur with a sword and the stone, like I said, but told through the adventure of 12-year-olds. Obviously, so the main cast is these kids, but it's it's fantastical. It's full of myths and legends and sorcery and wizards. And, and swords fights, and it's totally out of place in today's movie industry. And it makes me love it even more. Joe Cornish is the director. He directed Attack the Block, if you know him from that. And he's just perfect to direct this film for kids, about kids that isn't a total attempt at just creating the next cash cow. This story is personal to him. He, he dreamed up this idea when he was 13, and it seals the sincerity of the message and the meaning behind it. it. It adds to the genuineness of it, that it isn't there just trying to make tons of money and hook your kids on the next thing, so you're going to have to take them to the theater every time to see the next sequel for the next few years. It's it's very genuine, and it, it's very weird. It's, it's an anomaly and makes me love it even more. There's, there's a ton of love about it, Because of the uniqueness of it and the rarity of it, it makes me treasure it. It makes me cherish it. But even without that, you know, even if medieval fantasy movies were the most common genre, especially for kids, this would still be great because it's so good at being that type of story and also has a great message. On top of that, it's really fun and hilarious. There's adventure, there's thrill, there's action, there's humor, there's heart. A great message, like I mentioned. It's genuinely got it all, and it's well-directed, and the cast is endearing. It's just super, super fun to enjoy. It's hard to not get into it without any spoilers because I think knowing absolutely nothing about the film is better. You know, I'm just genuinely that way about films in general. But especially one of this type that really has good pacing and has a good story, it's amazing to follow along for the first time and to be so surprised by it. So that's your two cents. Kind of knee-jerk reaction to the film and why I think it's so great and why I'm so excited to talk about it. But on to this new segment here called Hidden Gem. First, let's talk about why it's hidden. Like I mentioned, it was released in January of 2019 and then immediately released to streaming in April of 2019. So like three months in theaters, not not even that, because it was released January 25th and then streaming April 2nd. So like February and March, two and a half months. Hardly anything. They didn't really have a chance to have an audience. On top of that, January releases in theaters are already hard. They're often referred to as like the dump month for studios, you know, when these are the films that they don't feel are worth their time. They're not worried about award season at the end of the year. They're not worried about box office cash, so they're avoiding holidays and big summer weekends. It's just a time where they just dump their films which kind of just doesn't give it a chance to succeed in the first place. And then they get all upset because they don't make money back from it. And then they stop making these original films. And it's like, well, you didn't give it a chance to succeed in the first place. But take it what you can get. On top of that, the reason that it was hidden is that it's original story from a less-known director. It's not marketable. It doesn't have a huge market appeal. You watch the trailers and you can tell that the studios don't really know what to do with this film as far as marketing goes. Fantasy films are already kind of dead. Especially targeted towards kids. That's just like a dead genre. And it makes it hard to advertise. It never gained the traction or the intention while it was in theaters. Nobody was interested in retelling of The Sword in the Stone for your kids in January of 2019 from this British Joe Cornish dude. You know, who's he? The thing is the goodness about this film you can't sell through a trailer. It's the whole thing that makes it so great. And taking those pieces from it, although are good... They're not good on their own, and so it's very hard to market. On top of that, it's a primarily young, unknown cast, a child cast. So there's not much star power bringing people to it, and it just never had a chance to succeed. You know, original films don't do well in the current Hollywood world, and I think COVID is going to make that even worse. That's a conversation for another day. But these types of films aren't something that studios bank on to make a lot of money, so they don't position it to make a lot of money. People aren't interested in it. They don't have time for it. But even like me, you see the posters, you see the marketing, you're like, what a dumb movie. It's hard to sell the good qualities that this film has without seeing the film, and that's just difficult because films are business at the same time. And it's an interesting conversation between commerce and art and the confliction that those two have anyway the film just wasn't set up for success and it was also just a difficult genre it's a dead genre but it was directed by a filmmaker who really cares about this piece of work and so he was going to release it anyway and i'm just grateful he got the support i honestly don't know why the studios greenlit this in the first place but i'm really glad they did because i love it so once the film was released it didn't have good success it was pretty or miss it has a good critical response especially with rotten tomatoes it's certified fresh it's an 89 or 90 percent pretty high but there's not a large amount of criticism response More importantly, though, than a critic's response on Rotten Tomatoes for this type of film is parents' ratings. You know, this is a PG film. It's not even PG-13. It's targeted towards kids. It was advertised towards kids. It's a story about kids. And it's definitely worthwhile for kids. But parents are the ones deciding on whether their kids should go see a film or not. So these parents' ratings are pretty important. Common Sense Media is probably the biggest site for parents' ratings. It's one of the best. If that's something that you want, check it out, Common Sense Media. They have good reviews on there. Reading the reviews on Common Sense Media frustrates me. It's not that parents had something against it. It's not that they didn't value it. They didn't value the message or anything like that. And they they do have a point in their complaints. And their complaints against it are it is a little violent and kind of scary, which would be too much for little kids. And I agree. You know, when you think of a PG film, the audience for that, this is definitely, I would think, too violent and too scary for them for me that's a good thing because you know not that i'm glorifying violence but it it is a well told story and it's well directed in that way doesn't fit the audience that it seemed to be advertised towards uh so it's just this weird in between content where it's a little too scary for kids but not cool enough for teens so no one went to go see it you know because parents are saying don't take your kids it's too scary teens aren't interested in this and it's just left in no man's land. And this is just super funny. This has nothing to do with anything. This is just one review on Common Sense Media that every time I read it, I just laugh hysterically. I read it to my family. They think it's hilarious. Maybe it's a parody. Maybe I'm being parodied by this review, but I'm going to read it because it's hilarious either way. On Common Sense Media, I'm an adult who has no children, uh, written by some SJW. That's literally their name, some SJW. (laughs) Their rating is one star that it should be rated age 18 plus because it attempts to introduce precocious and offensive material to young children this motion picture adaptation of the children's classic the sword of stone contributes to the modern totalitarian ideology this form of government is practiced in countries such as north korea and syria young children should not be exposed to ideas such as dictatorship at such a young age these forms of government are known for harsh laws that contradict the basic human rights laid out in the bill of rights we cannot let this new generation experience the horrors of these vile governments by not taking your child to see this motion picture you protect the integrity of this modern age <laughs> It's like they didn't even see or understand what the film stood for. But that aside, that 100% completely aside, the film didn't do great among parents. It's Like I said, it's too scary for kids. So it's just, it just didn't ever have a chance to be seen. Unless somebody like me right now is telling you to watch it, there's not really a reason why you would find this, why you would ever search for it on your own once it was on streaming. You know, unless you're really into the niche thing of the story of King Arthur... You're not going to watch this. You're not going to find it. You're not going to have an interest on it. It's on nobody's radar. And if you were going to go see it in theaters, the parents review probably took it off your radar because it's a PG film. And anyway, even trying to get my family to watch it, they just don't have an urgency for it because it's not on anyone's radar. And the sad thing is everyone should have urgency to see it. It's so good. I've recommended this to everyone I can because it's hidden. But it deserves a recognition whether it's hidden or not. Just some other things, you know, proof that it really was hidden in the box office didn't do too well. It has a $59 million budget and it did not do well. In the US box office, it opened its opening weekend only made seven million dollars. In the US, it grossed about seventeen million total and worldwide thirty two million. Through marketing and other things like that, losing Fox, the studio produced it like fifty million dollars. That's a lot. It just did not do good. So clearly, when it dies, you let it die. You don't try and get any more out of it. So it never had a chance to succeed, and when it didn't, it just fell off into the abyss. But let's talk about the other exciting part, why it's a gem. And it's for some of the same reasons that it's hidden that it's also Jim Joe Cornish, like I mentioned, he wrote and directed it. If you know him or experience with him, he directed and wrote Attack the Block, which is like John Boyega's breakout role. He also helped write Ant-Man and The Adventures of Tintin. He's a great writer, and he's a very, very talented director. And he's perfect for the type of film that this is. He's very genuine and very uncynical and very sincere to the art form that filmmaking can be, especially towards kids. On top of that, it's an original film released in 2019. That's something that deserves to be treasured and respected, especially going forward. It's a kid's fantasy movie that isn't focused on creating the next series for you to have to take your kids to constantly, so it feels very, very genuine. All these things that cause it to be hidden are also the reasons why it is so much worth your time. On top of that, the cast is phenomenal. They may be kids, they may be really, really young, but they're great. Andy Circus's son, Lewis is the title character, Alex, in this. His mother, played by Dennis Goh, I think that's how you say your last name, she's amazing. Rebecca Ferguson is in this for like a few moments. She soaks up every moment. Angus Emery is in this, Patrick Stewart. The cast is genuinely great. Another reason that really I treasure it so deeply, you know, I've already talked about how his original film released in 2019, and the treasure that that is, You think about this, it it increases its value as a rarity, as an anomaly. It's the second to last film produced by 20th Century Fox before being acquired by Disney. And with a horrible box office and Disney being the machine it is, this type of thing isn't going to happen again anytime soon. For this to even exist at all makes me cherish it even more, especially the fact that I know this type of thing is going to happen less and less because of how poorly it did do. And so for that reason, I want to recommend it to everyone because it deserves so much more than it got. Who knows the next time we're going to get something like this again. Beyond those reasons that also made it hidden, it's just a film that has so much heart and sincerity. I keep saying that, but I'm trying to keep it spoiler free. It doesn't hold back in discussing and presenting the difficult situations the kid finds himself in these days. Alex, the main character, has to deal with the weight of growing up the weight of understanding harsh reality of living and being adult, the wonderful twists and turns that are included in growing up and being adult. He faces demons, literally. He learns the importance of leadership and unity and community and respect and honesty. And he also realizes the truth of people's mistakes and the harshness and difficulty that that brings to life. It doesn't shy away from the realities of life but it is so hopeful and optimistic in how we can still be better than those things it's just amazing to see alex's journey it's so great there's just so much to love about it so that's why you should check it out you know if you signed up for hbo max to watch wonder woman i'm so sorry <laughs> maybe you liked it but i bet you're most likely disappointed and you're looking for something to watch and you want to watch something with your family or even on your own this is currently streaming on hbo max check it out It's worth it, I promise. You will not be disappointed unless you're just a cynic and you're looking for like some intense, over-the-top action thing. Understand that it's a kid's movie about kids and it's so genuine and so endearing and go have fun with it and be touched by what it has to say. It's very similar to like Paddington 2, but in a fantasy medieval story that's very well-directed and is lots of fun. So go check it out. It's on HBO Max. But now the spoilers are coming. Feel free to stick around. I think you should because the more you learn about the film, the more you're going to love it. But it's a difficult balance because it's fun to experience it for the first time and be wowed by what it does. So, I don't know. It's up to you. If you're not going to watch the film, listen to the podcast. Let's move on to the next segment. That was a really, really long introduction. Let's get into the spoilers. Let's really get into the meat of why I'm excited to talk about The Kid Who Would Be King. So, next segment. Pick Your Poison. Pick Your Poison is a rating scale here at The Basement Binge, which is all about how I would react to a film based off money involved in it and time, investment. So bottom of the list, after watching it the first time, never watch it again, very self-explanatory. Above that is to stream it. If it was on a streaming service I'm already paying for and I'm looking for something to watch, and there's just kind of like a void of entertainment, I'd let it fill that hole. Above that is to rent it, be willing to pay a few bucks. Watch it once, and the top of the list, best award is to buy it. Full price, watch it as many times as you want, get the bonus features, all those things. So, for me, if you can't tell, it's an easy buy. I already did bought it. I bought it blind based off a recommendation, and I'm so grateful that I did, and I'm so grateful that I have it. There's a rare ranking or reward that we give out to films here at The Basement Binge, and that's to buy it as a gift for someone else. Your trust in the quality of it is so good that you can give it to someone else even without knowing their taste in films and this is one of those that deserves that award because I really think if people would take the time to sit down and watch it they too would be impressed by how genuine it is and how great it is for myself though it's one that I've revisited many times before and I know I will continue to revisit I'll revisit with my family again and again my future family it's fun it's adventurous while being heartfelt and sincere it's just easy to rewatch and easy to recommend but now we're actually going to get into the spoilers even though I said we already wore with the next segment binge points So these are just fun things I like to point out about the film that aren't necessarily connected to something, but are just a lot of fun. Anyway, the film opens with an animation and narration with Patrick Stewart that is just amazing. I want more of that animation. There's a book that's a big part of the film that Alex reads, and it has the same type of animation. We need to get like a spin-off of that. That animation is amazing. I'm a huge fan of 2D animation. It was so great. Just the cherry on top. You know, I talked a little bit about the cast and how great they are, especially Angus Emery, if I'm saying his name right. He plays the young Merlin. He is great. I am going to watch his career with great excitement for what he does. He's so invested in a role. He's perfect in this. He's funny. He's uplifting. He's great. But watching the bonus features, he did something intense. Maybe he's just like full-blown meth and I don't know. In the film, the characters take a journey from Bodmin Moor to Tintagel Island, which is in the movie, they say is about a 20, 20-mile 20 walk. If you look it up on Google Maps, it says it's roughly about 15 miles, but that's walking on roads, roughly a five-hour walk estimated. So anyway, Angus, the actor for Merlin, when he read that in the script that they did that on his own without telling anybody, he just went and got on a bus, went to Bodmin Moor, and then set out following the stars, slept out in fields under the stars just on his own, and walked to Tintagel Island on his own. He didn't have a map. He just followed the stars. And then when he got to Tintagel Island, he swam in the sea and then hitchhiked his way back. He just left without telling anyone. I think that's so great, especially watching Angus in the film and then knowing that they did that. It's just, he's so great. I can't wait for him to be in more things and to have a breakout role. You know, Joe Cornish, you know, he, he got John Boyega. Maybe we can happen the same thing with Angus because he deserves it. His humor's great. I, I can't get this one line where he says, it is not Chinese food out of my head. He's he's just awesome. Something else that this film does and this in the writing does really, really well that I love, especially on rewatch, is pacing and how well it does that, especially in the way that it sets up rules and follows them. For example, the Mortis Millis, which is all those big demons that the kids have to fight, at the very, very beginning of the film, it's explained to them by Merlin that they have to either wait for the sun to rise or for all the Mortis Millis to be defeated, and then time will start again. And it follows out rules consistently throughout the film in a lot of funny ways, and, and also a lot of unique ways. And knowing that, that it's following those rules allows the pacing to go really really well. Another great thing about this film is the music. I listen to this album all the time. Over and over and over again. Even as I was finishing up the writing, I just listened to the album and it got me right back into the mood of the film. It's your typical fantasy orchestral tones with plucky strings, but then it has these vibing synths coming in. It's just, it's a great score. Super duper underrated, especially the album mix of Arthur's theme. That alone is just a great single to listen to. Great score for this film. Um, I also mentioned how this movie movie's funny this humor has great timing that's one of the best things about this humor in this film especially from Merlin is just the timing it's hilarious other fun details to point out is sunsets are a big part of the story like I mentioned and they capture a lot of beautiful sunsets as a part of that and they really just genuinely look so great So, yeah, the other cool thing is I I mentioned how Joe Cornish had this idea since he was 13. He saw E.T., he saw Excalibur, kind of had an idea to fuse those two types of stories together and also thought about what would it be like if there was a medieval story, you know, with the modernized world. What would that be like? And uh, a few years later, a few as in like 30, he's now making the story, and he does a great job, and I'm excited that he had that opportunity to do something that he's been thinking about since he was 13. So other great things, the actor Dean, who plays Betters, had never been on stage, in front of the camera, never acted before in his life. He saw that they, so they came to his school looking for kids, and he signed up on his own and went and had an audition, and they saw him, and they just knew that that would be Betters. And he is so good as Betters. He brings a charm and a, and what's the word I'm searching for, a vulnerability, a... Naivety, naive, naivety. However you say that word, he's very naive, um, and and kind, and humble, and meek. A meekness. That was the word I was searching for. That I think is just because of that who the individual Dean is and the way he plays. betters is great, especially as, as never acting before in his life. I would have never guessed that because he's actually quite good for a child actor. Speaking of child actors, the character or the actor who plays Alex, the main character, Louis Circus, which is Andy Circus's son. Um, he didn't want to be in the film. He came home from school. His mom was like, oh, son, you've got, um, auditions for a film. He's like, oh, I don't want to go. I just want to go play with my friends. He didn't want to be in the film. He didn't want to go try out he wanted to play with his friends. And his mom was like, well, I'll buy you pizza if you go and do the tryout or the audition. So he got the audition and obviously got the role. I don't know if he got the pizza, But he got the role and he did a great job. I just think that's, it's just endearing that he just wanted to go play with his friends. He's such a kid and I think it's great to see kids being kids. And that was one of the funnest things about watching the behind the scenes and the extras was those small moments where you saw the kids on set and on location just being kids together. And it's just, it's really heartfelt and it's really sincere and it makes me appreciate it even more because they let these kids be kids in this story um, other things, Rebecca Ferguson, she's in this for, for very, very limited time. She was only there for like two days, I think, between shooting Doctor Sleep. But every moment she's in, she just soaks it up. She's just the most over-the-top villain as Morgana through her design and her voice acting. And Rebecca Ferguson is just great. She just soaks it up, everything she's in. Um, the cinematography is done by Bill Pope, who's known for doing The Matrix films, Spider-Man 2, Baby Driver, other great films. Um, he's currently working on Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. He did a little Elite Battle Angel. He's done a lot of great films. Uh, very, very talented cinematographer, and he does a really great job. There are some moments of just wow. You know, it, it's not the typical moments you have, like, when watching a Roger Deakins film, for example. But something about the composition and the framing and the iconography I'm seeing. There's these few frames throughout the film... That I just can't get that image and that composition out of my head. I can't forget it. There's lots of moments that it's just what is combined on screen is so pleasing, especially the ending scene at the school with the eclipse. I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Just a combination of everything working together and then going through the lens of the camera in that great composition is just unforgettable. And now this isn't something that you normally notice, and I have no idea why I noticed it this time. You know, it's when it's done right, you shouldn't notice. But for whatever reason, I noticed it in a positive way this time. The focus polling in this film is amazing. Don't know why I noticed it that this time, but it was so good that I wrote a note down. Binge point. Interesting one. Okay, that's all the binge points. It's a very, very simple film. It's original story. There's no Easter eggs. There's, I don't know the story of King Arthur that much. The the binge points of this film are is just how genuine it is and how great everyone involved in it is and how all that coming together makes it so great. The second to last segment, least and likes. So this is where I talk about my least favorite scene and my favorite scene or least favorite part of the film and favorite part of the film. So least favorite, very, very simply, is the annoying amount of green screen. There's a lot of skylines and sunsets, like I mentioned earlier, that are filmed on a stage. And you can tell, you know, they have some close-ups with the actors and you can just tell that they're on a set, they're on a stage. and that the skyline we're seeing as beautiful it is is digitally placed behind them. And it's kind of annoying. Uh, especially contracted with the great locations they got. They go to a lot of great locations and it's just beautiful. The wide landscape shots are some of the best. and it's just hard not to notice the blue screen skylines. And the use of that after getting those great locations. And some great iconography like I mentioned. So that's my least favorite thing is that I can't not notice that. And the, a horrible contrast that it has between the great iconography and locations. And then the poor digital skylines. But on my favorite part. My like. This is that final scene that I mentioned at the school with the eclipse. It's just that final scene. When it shows the kids getting ready getting armor, choosing to be knights, blah, 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 blah. The pacing, the style, the production design, the kids getting ready, having a sign as a shield, the triumphant score. It's all just so clever in the way that a school becomes a fortress with all its modern flair. And then we get this great music as there's there's just these simple push-ins of great composition of these kids posing with eclipse glasses on. And I laugh my head off every time, and I love every moment of it. It's just that image, that pushing. I just, when you see it, you'll get it. It's so great seeing all of that come together. And all of it means for the characters in that moment as well. Just a beautiful melding together of all the things that make up a film. Cynthia, um, fun, music with kids wearing eclipse glasses it's just something i'm never gonna forget it's ingenious and loads of fun that's my favorite part without a doubt i've even after i finished watching the movie for the podcast i just rewatched that scene like those 10 seconds like 10 times because I, I love it so onto the last segment here this is why this film sticks with me uh, fall in so here at the basement binge if this is your first episode course thanks for being here but fall in what it is is where i dig into the themes or messages or meanings of the film that i really value and can pull out of it and why it sticks with me and why it's important and how we can become better individuals because of it and this is a great great film to do that there's there's two things that i want to talk about two themes one of them's a strong theme we're going to talk about that one second The first one is more of a motif than it is a theme. There's definitely a lot of strong moments in it, but it's not developed throughout the entire film, and it's not as strong that it feels more like a motif than just kind of a side thing that's happening because of the nature of the actual theme. But I want to talk about it. Whether it's a motif or a theme, I just want to talk about it. I think it's awesome. It comes in a small moment, kind of when it's first noticed, when Alex beats up lance you know, well he does something good he's betters is being bullied his friend and so he stands up to the bullies lance and k and then he jumps on k and punches or lance and punches him so he's mean with his principal and his principal says something along the lines of how he, there's so many other kids who have better circumstances a head start if you will and that life isn't going to wait for him that's a big moment that has an effect on him where he realizes he's growing up and you see him and how he reacts to betters that betters is trying to hold on to this childhood he's a he's a he's a pure meek naive kid and alex is having this harsh time where he's realizing things change and i've got to grow up and i'm a nobody at this school and we can't be this way and, and so on and so forth you know he's a son of a single mom he's a nobody at school he's bullied and now he has to somehow amount to the grand task of being an adult because of the pressure that that adults are putting on him, which is a realistic pressure. You know, what the principal is saying is true, but it has a sad effect on Alex, especially when Alex was doing something good. His friend was being bullied, and he stood up to a bully who was taller than him, and probably older than him, and that wasn't easy to do, and he tried to do something good, and it doesn't go well. And that, if that's not a comparison to life, I don't know what is. So because of that, there's this idea that even Alex talks about it in the film, there's this idea that somehow to achieve this greatness, it comes from bloodlines or some type of airship, some nobleness, if you will. He, he mentions specifically Alex. He mentions in the film Harry Potter, Luke Skywalker, and even the legend of King Arthur that the film starts with mentions how Arthur, who pulled the sword from the stone, was a long-lost son of the previous king, who put the stone there. So the idea that having this bloodline, this... this Connection to some great family is what brings about your greatness. Alex goes on a quest to find his dad because he thinks that his dad's going to be able to connect him to this powerful bloodline and that that's the answer to this quest against Morgana. And that's probably the answer to his quest for greatness and this responsibility that all these adults are putting on him. And it's not. It's not the answer. And it's so sad to see Alex have to understand that that's not and especially in the relationship to his dad, to understand that his dad is an alcoholic and probably wasn't a very good dad and that his mom is doing the best she can to be a good mom for him and the challenges that come along with that and having to be let down by adults and having to face the harsh reality of the truth, that he may truly be a nobody, but... That's not the message. That's just kind of the precursor to the message. This harsh truth, this, this sadness that comes upon him is so horrible. And that it's a very great moment from uh, Lewis Circus acting. But anyway, he chucks this book that he's been following, trying to go on the same quest as King Arthur and The, the Knights of the Round Table. He chucks it off, and Merlin comes back. And Merlin in the film hopefully you've watched it by this point, but there's two versions of Merlin. There's a young version of Merlin played by Angus, and then there's a older version of Merlin, Patrick Stewart. And they're interchangeable. It's a disguise that he has, but the older Patrick Stewart shows up whenever the kids need some wisdom. And it's great because Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart is perfect for this. He gives some really great wisdom as Alex is going through this heartbreak of realizing that his father wasn't some noble person, that he isn't a descendant of some bloodline and almost coming to the realization that that's not the answer to achieve his greatness so Patrick Stewart as Merlin comes back with his great wisdom and says from the f- film quoting it the sword doesn't care who your parents are it doesn't choose by birth or blood but by heart and mind if your legends say different then perhaps you must write them anew you need nothing but that which you already have and it's so genuine to tell a kid that they've got everything that they have to be legendary. It's not birth or blood, but our hearts and our minds that lead to greatness. And it's hard as a kid. you know, there's a deleted scene where it mentions I don't know the, remember the exact words, but something on the lines about how we change myths into something that we can't become. These myths are legendary. We create these legends to be something beyond achievable. I think subconsciously, legends are legendary, not so much because of what they are or who they are, but because of what we are not in comparison. And I'm getting emotional because it reminds me of this conversation I had with our landlords that we live with here, my wife and I, just a few days ago, that was really eye-opening for me. So our landlords, he's he works in schooling and teaching somehow. He was a first-grade teacher, and then I think he was a principal it wasn't clear to me what he was and I should have asked him, but I was having such like an epiphany, eye-opening moment that I didn't even ask and that was mean to me. But he is into schooling and he's into the effects that schooling can have on children. They have a few kids, obviously that's on his mind a lot, and he has really amazing insights about it. But anyway, he opened my eyes to this experience that I had that I never put the pieces together. As a kid, I was super hyper, super ADD, couldn't focus, always moving around in my seat, and because of that, in elementary school, I wasn't a very good student. And I thought that it's just because I wasn't smart. I thought it's because I didn't get it. When I, I really think that I did get it, there are moments where I really did understand it. And I was really good at doing my homework. But in class, my teachers thought I was nuts. Uh, on, on top of that, I'm dyslexic. And it was really, really bad in elementary schools, particularly in second and third and fourth grade, and even fifth grade. And because of that, I would be taken out of class with a desk that was stuck in the hallway next to the classroom with a teacher, and I would be forced to read. They were doing their best to help me with my dyslexia and my focusing, but it made me feel like I wasn't as good as everyone else. I was some lower version that didn't get to be a part of class because I couldn't even read, so I could have had to be stuck in the hall reading on my own. It's not that anyone ever told me that. They were definitely trying to help me, but it wasn't until junior high where two teachers, Mrs. Hemmert and Miss Jackson, they believed in me. And they helped me realize that I didn't have to be something I wasn't to achieve this great status that I a lot of my friends were at. And because of them and the way they helped me use what I had, and I realized that I was actually kind of smart. And I, I don't want to talk about, about myself like I'm so great. I was preparing this podcast. I'm thinking about this theme, the, the reason why I love this film. And then I have this conversation, and I realize... That, that happened to me. That there was this level of greatness that people could achieve who weren't me, who were different than me, who had different talents or different bloodlines or different capacities or had the ability to draw a sword out of the stone. And I wasn't. Because I'm the dumb kid in the hallway who can't read. And I love what Patrick Stewart said. I should say Merlin, but the fact that it's Sir Patrick Stewart in a kid's movie just makes it even better. It doesn't care who your parents are doesn't choose by birth or bloodline, but by heart and mind. And if legends say different, we need to write them anew. And that's empowering to kids. And I hope that kids really, really believe that. You don't have to be a noble son of a king to achieve your potential. You know, just live the chivalric Code, like Merlin says. All joking aside, this is actually a genuine way to live. He mentions this devoured code, the four things they must live by. Honor those you love. Refrain from wanton offense, which is deliberate or unprovoked offense. Speak the truth at all times and persevere in any enterprise until the end. You know, Genuinely, jokes aside, that's a magnificent way to live your life and reach your potential. You know, There's nothing about bloodlines. There's nothing about airship. There's nothing about nobility or being a Skywalker or anything about that. Your potential you've got all you need to unlock it and some people have a bigger battle to do that than others and of course some people have circumstances that can help them but I love the fact that we don't have to be something we're not to be legendary different generations need to be able to write these legends for themselves because of who they are and what they're experiencing so that was a little motif throughout the film, it was very small but it was very impactful to me but this is a theme, the one that I love and it's kind of revolving around the idea that it's a really, really hard time to be a kid when the film is starting, then there's that opening narration, Morgana, the big villain of the film who's being locked in the abyss in the underworld, mentions and promises that when the world is lost and leaderless and men's hearts have grown hollow, she will return and That's accurate. <laughs> Even later, Merlin points out to the kids, he's like, have you looked outside? Men's hearts have grown hollow. You're lost and leaderless, and he uses the exact words again. But it's true, that that hollow heart, it's cold, and it's harsh, and it's selfish, and lonely, and it's scary. That theme of that challenge that kids these days are facing, that all of us, but ultimately kids, are facing, is at the heart of the sum and what makes it so memorable. I could try and explain it, but I'm just going to let the film use the exact words that it does. Talking about King Arthur again with the opening narration by Sir Patrick Stewart, King Arthur turned his enemies into allies and ruled at a round table so that all were equal. And later Alex, as he's being a leader, not a King. Cause this isn't about totalitarianism. Like that person said in the review, but Alex being a leader, to his fellow peers trying to get them to fight with him against evil says evil tricks you it by turning people against each other to distract you from itself because it knows that if we fight together it doesn't stand a chance and it's not just words at the heart of the success of this film is Alex learning to live by that code to be honest and to honor those he loves but he also does what King Arthur does and he turned his enemies into allies I mentioned those bullies that he stood up to at the beginning of the film that got him in trouble, Kay and Lance. He turns them into his allies, and they fight with him, and they sit around a round table, and they're all equal. So powerful. You know, if if we really had some type of leadership that viewed things that way, about turning people into allies and ruling at a round table where there's equality and where evil was something that put us against each other, and that we could truly win against each other if we fight together. I mean, kids really need that. I'm not a dad yet. I want to be. I think about having kids a lot, and I'm scared because of what they're facing. And if there's people out there, hopefully I can be one of them who can tell them stories like this to get Sir Patrick Stewart to come along and offer this incredible wisdom, I think they've got a chance. I think we have a chance if we take this message to heart. At the end of the film, the kids win... You know, they save the day. Morgana is beaten. She's sucked back into the Under without a head. And they're talking to the wise Merlin, Patrick Stewart, against Sir Patrick Stewart. And they say something interesting. He said, we won the battle, but Britain is still the same. How can we ever change anything else? And I love what he has to say. Perhaps you have more battles yet to fight. They may not be against demons or undead knights or one with swords or armies. But even if you do not wield Excalibur, you will know what it stands for. What you stand for. You have learned to fight for others, not just for yourselves. A land is only as good as its leaders, and you will make excellent leaders. I'm going to say it again. It's a tough time to be a kid and to grow up and take this responsibility. But Sir Patrick Stewart believes in what he's saying. And I believe in it. You know, typing this final bit up for the podcast. I was listening to the score. Like I mentioned, the song came on. And I started to cry. Because the pairing of the music the hope and the optimism of it with these words. It's just true, and I believe in it. And I'm really touched by the fact that there's something that's genuine for kids, for the kids and all of us. That really we can believe if we know that we fight together, evil doesn't stand a chance. And on top of that, that level of nobility, that level of of potential of heroic efforts, doesn't rely on bloodlines or something that we can't control. It relies on our heart and our mind. And we can write the legends for ourselves. And I can't believe that there's something that's so genuine, wrapped up in a fun adventure film of kids with well-directed action and incredible production design and great sword fights and incredible music that came from the poster that I had to stare at at the bus stop every day. And I thought it was dumb, and it's not dumb, and it's so genuine, and it's so good, and it's so worth your time. So if you haven't realized how worthwhile the kid who would be king is by now, go watch it. Rent it. Get on HBO Max however you can. Go buy it. You won't regret it. Watch it. Watch it with your family. Share it with people because it is fun, it's funny, it's adventurous, it's uplifting, and it's hopeful, and it's got some really heartfelt powerful messages in there that I believe, and that I stand by and think all of us need to be reminded of. We need to be reminded of the hope that comes along with the message. We need to believe in it and not just believe in it, but believe that it's actually possible. There's actually a difference that can be made. That's all for The Basement bench. Thanks for listening. If you're still here, that was a long episode. That was a fun episode. That's your first hidden gem episode, a hidden film that is most definitely fits the description of being a gem, and you should watch it. The Kid Who Would Be King. Get it wherever you can. If you enjoy this episode, I would definitely appreciate it if you subscribe to the Basement Binge podcast. There's more episodes coming, very, very exciting ones. Um, And also leave a review on podjaser.com slash Binge, or in the show notes, you can click on that link. Leave a review. Let me know what you thought about the film. Even if it's a bad review and you thought I could have done much better, let me know what you thought about the podcast, about this episode. And if you do, you'll have a chance to win a uh, screen pass on the next monthly update. So every review that you do, you're entered for a chance to win. So don't forget to do that. It helps the show a lot. Why do I bring that up? It just helps people find the show it helps people know that it's something worth listening to. And I appreciate you listening. And if you can help me help others do that. So thanks for listening to the basement binge. That's all for now. Ciao, ciao.